Hey everybody, thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in the Boise Friends Church Gymnasium, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption. It's good to see you guys. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill. I've been here for just a couple of months, so I'm one of the new guys, uh, but really excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, Real quick, I just want to introduce my mom and dad are over here. Just want to honor them real quick. Mark and Amy, really glad that they were here, are able to come and hear me speak this morning. So real quick, for those of you who don't know, I I have a bicycle that I really, really love. I ride my bike everywhere. Um, I remember when I first bought this bike, back when I was like single and broke and I saved up all this money to buy a bike. It's not actually a nice bike, but it just kind of fits me, you know, it's my bike. And I, over the years, I've ridden it so much that I just love it. Um, I remember when it got to my apartment, I used to live in like Hyde Park and I remember opening it up in my apartment and I just rode it everywhere. I rarely drove um, and just felt like the king of the world on the bike and on my bike in downtown Boise back in the day. Um, and over the years, I've, I've ridden a lot. A couple years ago, I was actually riding it a lot, a lot. We had, I think, one car at the time. Um, and so I was using it as transportation to get to work. Um, and I, I generally am an idealist. I believe the best about the world. And so regularly I was hanging my bike outside under our carport. Um, it was kind of blocked from the view of the street, but I would never lock it. Um, and I was just gonna keep riding that wave until eventually something happened. And finally it was stolen. So now I always lock my bike. But I remember being so devastated when I realized my bike was stolen, it was gone. And it like, it changed my mindset. I remember everywhere I went, I was riding this other bike around that was like really janky and cheap and made noise everywhere I went. And everywhere I was going, I was just like looking for my bike. Like when I was on the green belt, it was like I was in a dark alley full of criminals (laughs) who could be the one riding my bike. I was like checking to see if bikes had been spray painted. I mean, I was, on the lookout. Sure enough, after a couple months of this, I was like, okay, I gotta stop. I'm like starting to think terrible things about the world. I'm just gonna buy a new bike. And I remember right around that time, I was riding home one day and like about two tenths of the mile from my house, I'm riding this janky, clanky bike and I look and I see through a fence just around the corner from my house, my bike with painter's tape on it, like the whole deal leaned up against somebody's sliding glass windows. And I remember my adrenaline just started to like pump. (laughs) I was so excited. And I just threw my bike down on the sidewalk, walked right through their fence in their backyard, took my bike and walked both of my bikes home. (laughs) And I remember Marianne got home and I was so like pumped. My adrenaline was still rushing. I'm like, babe, I stole my bike back. I got it. And I was like telling all my friends this story of how I had recovered my long lost bike. But we're going to look at a story that's fairly fairly similar today in Luke chapter 15, actually. And it, it goes like this. 
It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Heart of God and the heart of Jesus for those who are lost, for those who are spiritually poor and do not know Jesus, those who are not a part of the kingdom of God quite yet. The, the, one of the things I, I want to look at here that I, I really want to focus on that I think we can skip over a lot is the crowd um, in verses 1 and 2 who's here listening to Jesus tell this story. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. So tax collectors, if you're familiar with uh, the time, the culture there, tax collectors were marginalized people. They were outcasts. They were hated. Uh, financially, they were probably doing pretty well. They were known for actually taking a little extra off the top for themselves. Um, but they were viewed as traitors. Uh, they were hated by their fellow Jews. Most of these tax collectors were Jewish people who had basically been hired by uh, their Roman occupiers to collect taxes from their family and their neighbors. And so if you were a tax collector, it was very likely that you were disowned by your family, that in terms of your heritage and culture and tradition, uh, you were removed from that, and you were not beloved uh, in your neighborhood. The other group and I love the New Living Translation, the way it says this, notorious sinners. Um, these people were not just people who occasionally made a mistake or didn't go to church every week, right? But these were people who were known for living outside of covenant community with God. The laws that God had given the Jewish people through Torah, these are people who regularly disobeyed those laws, did not follow these laws. And so this group of people is potentially made up of prostitutes, criminals, even people who were like terminally ill or were crippled or were sick because the religious leaders often viewed those people as have com had committed serious sins to have gotten in that place. So these tax collectors and notorious sinners are not religious insiders. They're people who would not feel at home in the synagogue or in a church. The other group there are the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law who we see are complaining that Jesus was associated with them. I'm fascinated by the, the two different reactions to this group, right? The religious insiders respond with categorization. They're those people, the people who aren't on good, God's good side. But Jesus, instead of responding with categorization, responds with compassion. These people who've been hurt, burnt out, couldn't find it in themselves to maybe believe anymore. Maybe they were uninterested. Maybe they grew up in the faith, but at some point just said, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. Jesus and his people, it, it was attractive to this group of people. They felt welcomed. Where they didn't feel welcomed and loved and valued and respected and honored as people within the synagogue and around the religious insiders, they did feel this way around Jesus and his posse. This is pretty normal throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels. In Mark chapter 2, there's a similar story. And it goes like this. It says, Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. So this is an actual tax collector that he's interacting with. 
He says, follow me and be my disciple. So Levi got up and followed him. No, not, no standards that he has to meet, nothing he has to do. He just says, you're coming with me. So later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to come to his home as, as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So this isn't the notorious sinners, it's the disreputable sinners. It's like an east side, west side kind of thing. Just kidding, it's not like that at all. Um, but it says there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. This was normal. This is how it worked. It says, but when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Similarly, in Luke 19, he says, Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. Jesus was not about playing synagogue. He wasn't just going through the motions. And if anybody could have done that really well, he could have, right? There's a story when Jesus was like 12 years old and he hangs back and his parents find him in the temple showing up the religious leaders because of how much scripture he knew. He just knew it so well. If anybody could have played church climbed the religious ranks uh, in Israel. It could have been Jesus, but Jesus was not about that. He was here to call, not those who are righteous, but those who know they are sinners, to seek and save the lost. So since God values the lost, since Jesus values the lost, so should we. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see that God has reconciled us to him through Jesus, and now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Jesus who are meant to welcome others in, invite others in to the kingdom. So how do we do that? I'll be honest, for me, I was a little nervous when I, I found out that I, this is the topic I was going to be speaking on because I'm, nobody wants to hear about how they have to tell all their friends about Jesus. I'm an introvert, and so sometimes I get nervous when I think about what it means to tell others about what I believe. But hopefully today we can talk through some things and ideas for why it's actually not that hard and why there's no pressure on us. It's actually really, really easy. So I want to talk about four things specifically that should be a part of our lives as we invite outsiders to know Jesus. The first one is prayer. And this one is so, so foundational uh, it, for me, it changes the game when I think about what it means to invite others to follow Jesus. I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself uh, when it comes to this perfect performance, but prayer takes the pressure off when we realize that only Jesus, only the Holy Spirit can actually move someone towards believing, especially what we believe, right? Like what, what this is, what we're doing here today, and actually, actually in a lot of ways is kind of crazy. Like I'm naturally a fairly terrible salesman. I had a job once where I was a salesman for a little while, and I was very, very, very bad at it. But we don't have to be salesmen. We have to join God where God is already working. And so I think the prayer that often we should be praying is, God, where are you working and how can we join you? The call to preach or speak the gospel isn't a call to take God where he's not, but to join him where he is already working. I played in a golf tournament 
uh, a few weeks ago, and it was one of the first tournaments I've ever played in. I'm not good at golf. I play like once every couple of years, and so I'm generally pretty bad. Um, but it was this uh, best ball scramble, and if you know what that is, it's like you have four people on your team, and you only play the ball, you play the best ball. The best person shot is the one that you play. And for me, normally when I play golf, I'm like super stressed out because I hit lots of bad shots. And then you just dig yourself deep in this hole that's like really frustrating, you gotta dig out of, and I'm fairly competitive. But when you're playing best ball, it, it doesn't matter anymore. You can like, you can be terrible at golf, but still potentially win if you have good people on your team. It's a really, really nice thing. And in fact, I don't think I'm ever gonna play golf again outside of best ball scrambles. Because I would hit a ball in the water and just be like, cool, I know I'm going to hit my next shot from the fairway. And it is so similar when it comes to joining God in his mission. Like, we don't have to worry about being perfect. We don't have to worry about having it all figured out or this perfect, like, pitch. God's not asking us to give a sales pitch. He's just asking us to join him where he already is. And no matter how much we know, how good we are at following Jesus, he's better and he's working with us. The second piece that I'll touch on really, really quickly is humility. Uh, I've experienced a lot of um, people who talked about winning people to Jesus um, in a way that displayed some form of arrogance. In fact, this is a funny story. I remember I was interning at a church one summer in Oregon, and there was like an evangelist in town, and I, don't, I th think he was speaking on, you know, telling people about Jesus. He was like, check this out. And he showed me his belt. And literally on his belt, he had these notches that he had put in his belt for all the people who had like prayed the sinner's prayer when he asked them to. And that is problematic on very many levels. I don't need to explain this to you. But there can be like this weird arrogance that we often have when we talk to people who we would call lost, who Jesus calls lost um, in Luke 15. But this sort of like arrogance and better than attitude is not something that Jesus had. It's not something that his followers had. And you can see that in the way that they were drawn to him. A few things that I would love for us to recognize as we engage the lost is that we do not have all the answers. I, I'm so grateful for the fact that I'm part of the kingdom of God. I, I have I am aware of the ultimate truth of Jesus, but we have to maintain an attitude of humility and willingness as we interact with our lost neighbors. Uh, I think if my prayer is that if I'm interacting with someone who's lost, if I'm inviting them to church or to dinner at my house, uh, my hope is that they'd be humble and have a willingness to learn. Um, I think it's arrogant to think that I shouldn't have the same attitude when I'm interacting uh, with them. We should approach others with a humility and willingness to learn. Second is we have to recognize that spiritually poor people have the ability to seek for truth on their own. We have to respect their own agency. We're not convincing or sales pitching anyone. Third is that all of us are created in the image of God, and at the same time, we all carry our own sense of lostness. I feel this regularly. I often feel like the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, who somehow wandered away from the shepherd we do not have it all figured out. And as we interact and engage the lost, we have to have the same attitude. We don't, we don't have the corner on truth. We're just hungry people telling other people, other hungry people where to find bread. 
This is one of my favorite. It's just the, the awareness that it's simply an invitation. Um, we're not cosmic salesmen. Uh, one of my favorite days of the year, my favorite holiday, I'm sure you've all heard of it. It's called Redneck Day. You ever heard of Redneck Day before? It's this holiday, actually, that me and my friends made up. Um, I actually made it up as just a way to get my friends to do the things that I like to do one day out of the year. We wear mullets and jorts, and I'll go down to the Boise River and hand catch a bunch of crawdads, come back to the house, boil them in this big pot with, like, corn and potatoes. And it's great. I love it. We had a slip and slide this year. It's a good time. We've done it three times. And... I love this day, and this, this year, actually, we had, I have a, a super old aluminum boat that we pulled into, like, the middle of my yard. I didn't mow my grass for, like, a month, and we put this boat in the middle of my yard, put some, like, deer antlers on the front of the boat, and had this huge sign in the boat, uh, Redneck Day, and people, our neighbors, like, we lost all <laughs> sense of integrity and respect with our neighbors. They're like, <laughs> who moved into the neighborhood? But we had people like pulling up and asking us, what, what's going on? And we would just invite people, come on, come hang out, check it out, see what's happening. And every year there tends to be this group of people who show up and I don't really know who they are. They just heard about it through a friend of a friend. But it's always a great day. And we see a similar form of invitation uh, actually in the New Testament that Jesus practices. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 35, we see this. It says, The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. And when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he said. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Again, Jesus did not require anything of them. He simply said, come check it out. Come and see. And they ended up staying with him the rest of the day. In verse 43, this pattern continues. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So then Philip, after deciding to follow Jesus, goes and looks for his buddy Nathaniel and tells him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed, Samuel, ex exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip's response, come and see for yourself. Just a few verses later, after one interaction, with Jesus, this is Nathaniel's response. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. All it takes from us often is just an invitation. We don't have to convince anybody of any universal truths the second we meet them. We have to invite them into our homes, into spaces where the people who know God are and where they can experience the love and kingdom of God. Proclamation is always an invitation. We respect the, the freedom of the hearers, and it's never done in a manipulative way. The church proposes, never imposes anything on the lost. 
This combination is what made the early churches grow so explosive. The power of the Holy Spirit working through prayer, invitation, and finally, witness. When we strip the good news of the message of salvation from an invitation to live in the way of Jesus and submit to the reign and kingdom of God, we end up with a hollow, lifeless sales pitch. The preaching of the word, as Francis of Assisi saw it, availed little without the sermon of one's life. I want to give you an example of experiencing result of a simple invitation mixed in with witness. Um, some of my friends, a, a couple different couples that were friends of ours got married this year. Um, and it's really great because they were our friends before they were married, then they started dating, and now all our friends are getting married to each other, and it's really, really great. Um, but at one of these weddings, it was, it was really uniquely um, special. I remember I actually was able to officiate the wedding, and then I remember at the end of the evening, um, everything had already taken place and we were all headed to the dance floor. And I remember just stepping back for a moment and looking at just the beauty of the community that was present at that wedding. Like the way that people honored and loved each other, not just the bride and groom, but also just the entire wedding party and community. It was like, it's something that honestly as a teenager and a young adult, I never thought that I would be a part of and I'm so grateful to be a part of it. And I remember just stepping back and soaking in that moment. I mean, naturally, just like every wedding, it's not just the one group of friends. Like there's like, right, lots of different groups of people there. There's family. Um, there's friends from different stages of life. And not just one demographic of people either, either, right? There's like believers and unbelievers. And so I remember one person specifically um, who, who was at this wedding um, who was distant from God, uninterested in the things of God. And after experiencing this wedding um, and being in this space, got home, lives out of state, got, got, gets home from the wedding and asks someone she knows, hey, do you go to church? Could I potentially just go with you? And sure enough, she started going to church on a regular basis. She started really being hungry for the things of God, um, taking notes, going home, studying. Next thing you know, she's inviting other people to come and see what God is doing. I want you to just use your imagination for a second and imagine what would it be like if our community of faith was like that? Not just like that wedding, but like Jesus' community of faith in Luke chapter 15, where there were, it wasn't like a religious insider type culture, but where people who were far from God, who knew they were far from God, who were in that category of people who were disinterested, unbelieving, maybe hurt, maybe wounded, where they felt sp safe in a space, in a community, to be a part of it and to explore what discovering God's love could be like. What would that look like? What could that look like? All it takes is prayer, humility, invitation, and witness. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're all here today because somebody joined God in his mission of welcoming the lost in, of inviting the lost. Somebody said to you or someone you know to come and see. 
Um, I know very specifically my family. I don't even know how often this story is told, but I know that um, my grandfather, who was a pastor for a long time, um, was days away from committing robbery with some friends of his when somebody came to his door and told him about Jesus and invited him to church, and it changed his life. And I'm only here because somebody was willing to invite somebody else into the kingdom. So I just want us to close our eyes for a second and just use your imagination. Um, I want you to think about maybe who's somebody in your life who you could begin to pray for. What's, who's the face that comes to your attention? Who's the neighbor? Who's the friend that you, you hang out with? Who's the, who's the person at work? Maybe it's you just need to invite them over for dinner. Maybe you just need to begin praying for them. Here's the question that I want us to all ask together. God, where are you working and how can we join you? This is your heart. God, this is your passion. How can we join you in your pursuit of the lost, in your love for the lost? How can we be more like you? Father, um, so grateful that you you were working where I'm not, where we are not. Uh, that oftentimes while we're disengaging, you're not disengaging. You're, you're inviting us to join you in your mission, uh, to bring people in, to announce your reign, your rule in the world. And so God, I just ask that as a community, you would become the kind of people that bear witness to your goodness and invite people to taste and see that you are good. We love you, God. We thank you for who you are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.